Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, 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 and welcome to the season four premiere of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and it's been a while, folks. It's been almost two months since the last time that we spoke. A lot has happened, I'm sure, for you guys as you enjoyed your summers, hopefully, and a lot has happened on my end as well. This is the first time that I am recording a podcast with a wedding ring on my finger. Can you believe it? It was a long time coming, but we made it. We had a wonderful, wonderful wedding near my now wife. I got to stop saying fiance. My wife's hometown in Maryland at the end of July. It was sticky. It was hot, but we made the most of it. We had a great turnout of family and friends. Everything went as according to plan as you could have hoped that it would have. And one of the main things that people kept telling me going into it was, savor the moment. You know, it's going to feel like it's a blur. It's going to feel like it flies by. Make sure that you really enjoy it. And I really did feel like we were very conscious of that. And we got to soak it all in. It was really, really a wonderful celebration of our love. And our son, of course, was involved not only in coming down the aisle, which he didn't do exactly what he was supposed to do, but it was very cute and on brand for him, but also sitting there pretty patiently eating animal crackers during the ceremony, and then right after the kiss, running up, jumping into my arms and making for some great pictures, some great memories, and a really, really special time in our lives. It was an absolute blast of a summer. The wedding was obviously the biggest highlight, but we took some time away, got to travel out of the country a little bit, got to go down to the beach for a week right after the wedding and get a beach house in Rehoboth in Delaware, which is a beautiful beach town, and spend some real quality time there with my wife alone for a few days and then later on with the little guy and some friends as well. Spent a lot of time going to concerts, working on what has turned out to be a very mediocre golf summer for me, but nonetheless, Love being out there and was able to probably play more golf this summer than I have in any of the previous few summers, especially now that the little guy is getting older. A lot of great times with family and friends, a lot of work done around the house. And what's really, really been special about it, too, is a lot of really great time with the little guy. Once hockey season starts, he's in daycare or with my mom pretty much every day. But in the summer, I do have the luxury of a couple days a week keeping him with me and doing little daddy-son things, whether it's going to some of our favorite parks, going to my father's house and spending some time at the pool, going to visit friends, whatever it might be. And at this age, he's two and about four months or so now, two and about five months actually, he is speaking more clearly and full sentences and communicating full thoughts and having full conversations and 
that has really, really blossomed in the last few months. So it's been awesome to be around and be a part of that. I'm a little sad that I won't be doing that quite as much now that hockey season is approaching. But of course, I'm itching and antsy and excited to get things going. I hope you all had a great summer. I won't bore you too much with the details of mine, but just it was a very memorable one. I'll I'll mostly leave it at that. And now it's almost here. I don't want to digress too much because the breaking news here is that hockey is about to be back. Rookie camp for the Rangers actually opened on Wednesday, which is the day we're recording. I got back from that a little while ago. And then next week, NHL training camp will officially open for the 23-24 season, all of which is leading up to the season opener in Buffalo on October 12th. I actually have to make sure that I book that flight, maybe even tonight. Got to get a lot of the stuff lined up now because it's the train's rolling and things are going to start happening really, really fast. So now... You guys are digesting the end of your summer. We're well past Labor Day. We're sort of into mid-September here. I know football season, especially here in New York, has been hogging a lot of the headlines in the last few weeks, especially this week with the Jets. I was actually in the building at MetLife Stadium on Monday. I mean, a memorable game in so, so many ways. I'm not going to go too deep into the football stuff here, but that has been very prevalent on my mind the last few days as well. And just, you you can't make this stuff up sometimes. That is... The beauty and the curse of the cruelty of sports sometimes, the highs and the lows and the drama and all the different stuff. And I'm sure the Rangers are going to have a lot of that in store for us this season. Now, went into a hiatus, which we always do. I almost always take the month of August off from podcasting. We extended it a little bit longer than usual this year because I did have the wedding at the end of July, but... Not too much, at least from a news perspective, has happened since then. We haven't missed a whole lot. We can kind of pick right up where we left off. The only big happening since we last spoke is that the Rangers finally agreed to a contract with Alexi Lafreniere. We all knew, I think I repeated this in like eight or nine or ten episodes in a row before we signed off for the summer, that it was going to be a two-year bridge deal. We knew the number was going to be pretty modest because Lafreniere hadn't posted the kind of points and done the kind of things that you would need to to really force that salary higher in the range that we've seen from a lot of other number one overall picks when they've reached the end of their entry-level contract. So certainly, I'm sure, not the number that he dreamed about and envisioned. But what it ended up being, I had mentioned before that we should expect something around $2.5 million per season, actually comes in a little bit under that. The Rangers get him for $2.325 million a season. So a smidge under what I had been hearing. And that's a pretty team-friendly average annual value for the Rangers. Where that puts them at right now is if they carry a 22-man roster, which is what I fully expect them to do, then they're left with about $725,000 in available cap space. Things were were looking really tight, but they were able to get some of these numbers in, scratch it a couple hundred thousand dollars lower, like in the case of Lafreniere or even the case of Keandre Miller. I think both of those deals ended up being pretty team-friendly, and it was important 
for the Rangers, it's very unfortunate for the players. You hate to see them get squeezed in that regard, but it was important for the Rangers to keep those numbers as low as possible. It was also vitally important for the Rangers, as we saw in free agency, to go out there and make all of those contracts as close to the veteran minimum as possible. We saw the Rangers sign 10 players, and none of them got more than $825,000 in a deal. And despite all of those savings and all that squeezing of these contracts, they're still left with only $725,000 in available cap space. So about three quarters of a million dollars, which honestly, I thought it was going to be even tighter than that. So that's pretty good business for them to be in the spot where they are. It leaves them a little wiggle room. Now, if they were to carry a 23-man roster, it's kind of impossible right now because the veteran minimum is 775000 and they only have seven twenty-five. So it looks like they couldn't even carry a 23-man roster if they wanted to. But at least with a 22-man roster, they've got a little bit of wiggle room in there. And then as we seem to talk about more and more each season because the Rangers have made this a priority, the accrual process now moving forward, with each passing day during the regular season that you're under the cap, you add a little bit to your cap total. So what that does for the Rangers is now they're on pace if they can maintain that number that they start the season with at 725000 they could grow to over $3 million in available salary cap space by the time we get to the trade deadline. And we've seen them utilize that the last few seasons to put themselves in a position where they can be active at the trade deadline. So that's very important to remember. If they maintain this roster that we think they're probably looking at going into the season, they'll be in a position by the trade deadline to maybe absorb $3 million or so in salary, which will help them address any areas of need. Now, that could help them make a trade, or it could help them perhaps think about signing somebody else. And, and the big name that's still out there that I have a feeling we're going to be talking about until the situation is resolved is Patrick Kane. Still out there, still unsigned, still rehabbing from his hip surgery that he had this summer. It sounds like he's feeling pretty good and getting pretty close, but it does still sound like he's not going to be ready to begin the season, especially not if he wants to be 100%. Looking more like his ETA is going to be November, December kind of a timeline. And I've told you guys before, you know, I was right off the bat saying I didn't think there was any way they were bringing back Vladimir Tarasenko because he was just going to be too expensive for them. But Kane was the guy that I said I wouldn't completely rule it out. I'm sure there's going to be competition for his services, and I'm honestly not sure how hard the Rangers are going to push. I think a lot of that decision could be driven by how their first month or so of the season goes and what that right-wing depth chart looks like after we get through camp and we get through a handful of games. That might materialize or that might sort of make itself clear how desperate they are to add at that position. Right now, it definitely looks like a position of need for them, but we don't know if there's going to be changes. Is Alexi Lafreniere or anybody else going to shift to the right side? Is somebody going to come out of nowhere in camp? Are there going to be injuries? There's a lot of questions and, and things that we're still going to have to see how it plays out, but... I would not rule it out, and I do think that, especially until he signs somewhere, it's going to be something that a lot of Rangers fans are wondering about. It would have to come at a substantial discount. I think 
based on that, even if we get to the maximum of the accrual and they have three million or so in cap space, I still think it would have to be a contract million and a half, two million, two and a half million dollars, something like that. They they can't push themselves all the way up to the top of the salary cap and they won't have accrued even enough to let's say go to two and a half or so until way later. So, you know, if this guy's ready to start playing in let's say December, the number is going to have to be a pretty low number, but I'm also not sure how many contending teams can go that much higher at this point. So it's something that we'll keep an eye on. It's definitely something to monitor. I know many of you were also interested in that little bit of leftover cap space going to Tyler Mott, but now we know that he has signed a one-year $800,000 deal with the Tampa Bay Lightning that happened over the weekend. Now, that's obviously a number the Rangers could have stomached, so the questions are warranted about why he wasn't re-signed. He expressed interest at breakup day. I definitely had heard that there was some mutual interest going on earlier this summer. But my understanding is that by the time we got to the point where he was signing with Tampa, that ship had sailed. I'm told that Mott originally asked for a raise from the $1.35 million that he made last season and that he was sort of being sold to the Rangers as this is a guy who can help you fill a need on the third line. But the Rangers quite clearly viewed him as a fourth liner. That's where they've used him each of the past two seasons after they acquired him at the trade deadline. And he was a guy that I think they were looking to bring in at that salary range where they saw we saw them sign a bunch of other guys. So that difference of opinion, I think, led them to go in other directions, specifically Tyler Pitlick, I think, was signed to play that right wing position on the fourth line. And so I think by the time that Mott lowered his demands and interestingly changed his agents last month. So the agent that was originally negotiating with the Rangers was no longer in place at the time that he came to this recent deal with Tampa. I think the Rangers had just sort of made their decisions and decided to go in another direction, even though I really do believe that earlier in the summer, they were interested in getting something done. And I do know that the two sides talked. I just think that Mott his side of things, his agent at the time was trying to say, hey, look, this is a guy who you can play further up in your lineup and you should pay him as such. And I think the Rangers obviously took a pass in that situation. So now the Mott door has been closed. The Kane door remains slightly open. But overall, this roster is pretty close to being set, at least for the time being. Like I said, I believe Pitlick has a very strong chance of playing on that fourth line with Nick Benino, and you could debate whether the other guy on that line will be Jimmy Vesey or Barclay Gaudreau. I think one of those guys is going to have to be on the third line. The other guy on the fourth line, I would, my best guess would be that Gaudreau is going to get an opportunity to probably play on the third line, which would leave maybe Vesey, Benino, and Pitlick as your fourth line. That would be if I was placing a wager or giving you guys my best guess at this point, that's what it would be. Now we will talk to Peter Laviolette next week and get a little insight into where his head is at with all that stuff. But that's sort of where I would lean toward at this point. And that leaves us with not all that many competitions on this roster. The decor is pretty much set. We know the goalies are going to be Igor Shesterkin and Jonathan Quick. 
And really, the only, I think, true competition might be for that 13th forward spot. Who's going to be the extra forward that they carry? There's not going to be a whole lot of intrigue there unless injury happens or something kind of comes out of nowhere. There's a chance, of course, that some of these young players who are hoping to bully their way into the picture have a really good camp and sort of force their way on there. But I I do not believe that is what the Rangers are thinking at this point. I think they'd like to let those guys marinate a little bit more in the AHL, specifically Will Cooley and Brennan Offman. And then from there, as call-ups are needed or as they're playing well and sort of earning their way up or forcing their way up, that's when you might see them dip down into that prospect pool. I think you're going to start with a little bit more of a veteran-laden roster given some of the signings that we saw the Rangers make this offseason. Now, I do want to touch on the prospects and the rookies and the young guys a little bit here because I spent a lot of time discussing them and writing about them in the past month or so for our fifth annual prospect rankings, which you can read. And if you haven't had a chance to check them out yet, I would strongly encourage you to do so because I really do put a lot of work into those. You can find them at loha.com slash sports slash rangers or northjersey.com or any of our local USA Today properties. But those rankings have sort of evolved over the years to the point now where, I mean, it's a solid month or so worth the work when you consider the phone calls. I would say I did over two dozen interviews in total for that series, a combination of scouts, coaches from various levels, from juniors, from college, from Europe, a couple different executives who I talked to, whether it's Rangers executives or executives from other teams, and also conversations with the players themselves, watching the players themselves, especially at development camp. I put a lot of work in for this series during development camp this past summer. And what it leaves us with is a top 10 list. And then even beyond that, I ended up ranking the top 12 forwards, top seven defensemen, and top four goalies in the system. And you know the rankings are sort of a fun way to do it. And it helps me hone in on, on the guys that I'm really going to go in depth on and write about because I write a full feature story on each of the top 10. But it's really more about identifying the guys who are exciting for a variety of reasons. It could be because of their upside. You know, some of these guys are much further away than others, but projecting what they might become as they develop is a really interesting part of the process for me. And then also just who has a chance of impacting this roster because Not all prospects are cut from the same cloth. Not everybody is going to play in the top six or score a bunch of goals or become an all-star, but some of these guys could be really valuable for the organization in the sense of helping them fill out their roster and becoming valuable role players. And you'll see on that list that there are quite a few guys who made it because The belief is they have a really good chance of eventually making it to the NHL. And even if they're not playing 15, 16, 17, 18, 20 minutes a night, they're guys who can at least help you in one situation or another, or in some cases, multiple situations. So it's an inexact science for sure, but I think what we come out with, I'm proud of. And it is a really good way of sort of analyzing where the system is at. I won't run you through the whole top 10 right now, but there are some interesting names in there for sure. Very heavy on forwards, 
Seven of the 10 players who made the top 10 are forwards. I think of those forwards, six of them have played at least some left wing. Most of them are natural left wingers. So a lot of depth, not just on the NHL side, but in the prospect pool on the left side. When you talk about Gabe Perot, when you talk about Brennan Othman, Will Cooley, when you talk about Brett Berard, when you talk about Adam Sikora, there's quite a few guys there. Yaroslav Schmelash, that's one that I believe I'm saying right. I checked with a couple different people on how to say that. He actually came in at number 10. He was one of the new additions. He's a winger as well. Big body, six foot five guy. Comes from the Czech Republic, but has come over and played for Providence College last season, going into his sophomore year. Really made a strong impression on a lot of people at the World Juniors and ended up becoming a name who I didn't think I was going to have on the list to start, but the more people I talked to, the more I got convinced that he should at least be on there in that number 10 spot. So that's part of the interesting thing about this is by talking to these different people and getting all these different opinions, it really helps solidify what the feeling around the league and what the feeling in the organization is about these kids and how their development is coming along. And Schmelosh, which looks like it's spelled Chemlar, He's a guy who is rising, not to the point where I think he's going to be a superstar level player or anything like that, by no stretch at all, but could be a viable fourth line guy who knows his role and plays it well. And and I think that that's the type of guy that you end up seeing on the back end of that list. Now, the big debate for the top spot was Perot versus Offman. Last year, Othman was number one, but then the Rangers selected Gabe Perot at number 23 overall in this past draft. And I went into it pretty open-minded about, let me see what the consensus is before I make a decision on which one of these guys is going to be number one. But most of the people I, I spoke to, I can only recall one who sort of cast their vote for Othman. Most of the people that I spoke to really, really liked the Perot pick for the Rangers and felt like there's a lot of upside there. There are questions about the physical side of things for him, specifically his skating and needing to put on some weight, needing to get stronger. You hear that with a lot of young skill players, but you look at the production that he had with the U.S. National Development Program where he broke Austin Matthews' record last season for most points in a single season. Some pretty rarefied air there for Perot. But really, really what I think set him apart, uh, aside from that production, which is very noteworthy, is that everybody raves about the way that he thinks the game, the way that he has a feel for the game, the way that he makes decisions in real time on the ice and always puts himself in the right spots, puts the puck in the right spot, and is a true playmaker at his core. One person told me, actually two I can recall, telling me that they believe he was the smartest player in the draft. So thinks the game at a really high level, has the production to back that up, and it became difficult to deny him in the number one spot. So Perot lands at number one, Othman at number two. But those, I think, if you're putting them into tiers, are kind of unquestionably the top two prospects in the system right now. They'd probably be on the top tier. Now, they're not at the level of maybe some of the best prospects around the league. They're certainly not 
you know, a Connor McDavid type of prospect or anything like that. But as far as the Rangers system goes, that's the best that they have to offer right now. And I think you could envision a path where if things click for those two guys, they could end up being top six forwards for you in the future. And with that, Perot is not at rookie camp right now because he is getting ready to play his freshman season at Boston College. He's still a ways away, but Offman is two years older than him. And Offman now is about to turn pro, about to start his entry-level contract. And so he is there for rookie camp with the Rangers. He'll be sticking around for NHL camp with the Rangers. And while I certainly view him as a bit of a long shot to make this roster, I think it's reasonable that we could see him in the NHL at some point this season. I've said before, I think Will Cooley, who's a year older than Othman and just played a full season in the AHL where he led the Hartford team with 25 goals. He came in at number three overall in our prospect rankings. He's kind of the top of that second tier right now. I think he would be the first in line among the forward prospects because he got a taste of the NHL last season. He has a year of pro hockey under his belt, and I think his development is the furthest along. But Othman's not far behind him, and it's not out of the question that we could see both of those guys in the NHL at some point this season. Cooley, interestingly, is not at development camp with the Rangers this week. It feels like or it seems like they believe that he's sort of graduated beyond that, but Othman is there, I think, pretty much by far the biggest name at this rookie camp. And I got a chance to chat with him today after that first practice. So what I want to do now is play some clips from a couple of the interviews that we did today. And I want to start with Othman. This first one I thought was interesting because I think it shows a pretty good understanding on his part, of the challenge that it will be to make this roster. Clearly, he pays attention. He's a, he's a smart enough guy to know that if he's going to make this team, you know, there's some pretty notable players in front of him who he's going to have to compete against and move up the depth chart against. And he sounds to me like he he understands that and he's ready to be patient if needed. Again, it's most likely he's going to start the season in the AHL, so you want to make sure that he's going to handle that the right way and you're going to hear a little bit about how he might handle that in that answer right here. Still got a very good Ranger team here up and down the lineup. I mean, look at their top 12 or 13 forwards that they have right now and the guys that they signed. I mean, still very good players, right? So, uh, like I said, I'm excited for the development part of things. If I'm playing this year, I'm going to love it. If I'm in the American League, it's the same thing. It's just trying to make the NHL as fast as possible, right? Um, and it doesn't have anything to do with, with the bad year or anything last year, right? I mean, that year was for development and that year was for learning 200 foot game and you know I, I was able to showcase my offensive abilities a couple of seasons ago and last year was more the defensive side the learning that 200 foot game and becoming a pro player all right well first of all i apologize for that little bit of background noise we were right by the ice and the zamboni was going at the same time as the interview so we had to deal with a little bit of that but i still think you could understand him pretty clearly and as i touched on i think he sounds like he's ready and willing to bide his time and go down to the AHL and continue his development there and do his best to earn his way up to the NHL. I had heard from a couple people throughout the process of doing the prospect rankings that at times, I think probably a little bit more so in the past than recently, but character 
and maybe ego were a little bit of a question mark with Othman, and a couple people wondered how he would handle you know, maybe not stepping right into the role that he envisioned. But I, I think what you heard in that answer there was very positive from that standpoint. And I also thought that it was interesting within his answer that he spoke about his past season where he was traded from Flint to Peterborough. In Peterborough, they went on to win an OHL championship. So th- this guy, one thing you can't argue about him is he wins where he goes because he's been part of two gold medal winning teams for Canada at the World Juniors, and now he's an OHL champion on top of that. But if you look at his point production from last season, it was down fairly significantly from the previous season when he scored 50 goals and had almost 100 points for Flint. This year, he was still a little bit over a point per game, but it wasn't quite as efficient at the same level that it was the previous season. And when I spoke to his coach, for Peterborough, Rob Wilson, who Othman told me really made a pretty big impact on him. Wilson talked about giving him some tough love and stressing to him that we don't need you to just come in here and score goals. We need you to be a guy who plays a solid all-around game and really working on that side of it with him. You hear a lot of people, the old cliche, the 200-foot game, but I know that's something the Rangers have emphasized to him that he is going to need to prove he's capable of if he's going to play in the NHL lineup. And the feeling is that he made some strides there and that he showed a willingness to defend and forecheck. We know he's a physical player. There's no question about that. Wilson made a point of saying that he makes some game-altering, momentum-altering hits within the flow of the game. So he's certainly not shy about throwing his weight around a little bit and body-checking, and you know that's kind of a strength of his game. And speaking of weight, he did tell me today that he's up to about 187 pounds, which is... Uh, he said 10 pounds, although he was listed at 181 coming into this. So it sounds like he, he might have gained at least five or six pounds from where he was at last year. And so he is putting in that time to try to put on some muscle and put on some weight, which he's going to need to do, especially if he's going to play that physical brand of hockey. But I think what he was trying to express there was his focus wasn't so much on trying to you know, break his records or surpass his totals from the previous year when he was one of the top scorers in the OHL. But this year was more about becoming a well-rounded player. And I'm sure hearing that answer is probably music to the Rangers and the people at the top of the organization's ears. That's going to be what he's going to have to prove in Hartford, especially to play for a guy like LaViolette. LaViolette is not going to want a rookie who's just coming in and kind of showy and just trying to put up points and make flashy plays. He's going to want a guy that he can trust in all situations. He's going to want a guy who forechecks and defends and does the dirty work and plays hard and plays smart in all areas of the ice. And that is what I know they've been trying to have Othman work toward these last couple of years, particularly last season when he went back to juniors and the feeling was like, ah, does this guy really have much left to prove at that level? And I think based on his answer there, you, you got a glimpse into what he was trying to accomplish last season. Another interesting thing for Othman, we heard him talk about how good this Rangers roster is and the understanding that it's going to be difficult to crack it. 
Well, we know that left wing is a position where the Rangers are the deepest. They've got Artemi Panarin and Chris Kreider, a pair of established all-stars. They also have Alexi Lafreniere, who just got his new contract and was the number one overall pick in the draft a few years ago. So based on that, it seems like if you are looking for a path onto this roster, the easier place to do it is going to be at right wing. And Othman was asked today by our buddy Colin Stevenson, and then you're going to hear a follow-up question from me as well, about how comfortable he is playing on the right side. So let's hear that answer right now. I can play both. I can play the right side too. You know, I think I played a little bit last year in Peterborough, uh, left and right. Um, I know it says I'm a left winger on, uh, like, wherever you go, it says left winger, right? But I think that I can play the right wing as well. It's it's kind of the same thing, you know, picking up the puck on the, the wall is a little bit harder. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're really, really only playing your your own position on draws, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're F1 back, you have to play down low and everyone's all over the place, right? So at the end of the day, you're really only playing left wing, right wing, center out of face-off, right, or face-off plays and, and whatnot. So um, to answer your question, like I said more, I think I can play right wing as well. You think that versatility is important? Because, like, you look at left wing here, you see Pernar and you see Kreider, you see some pretty big names. Like, you think that'll help you in the long run? That's something that's important for you to show you can do? Yeah, for sure. I think those those guys, I think it's going to be pretty hard to beat out those two guys for sure. And even, <laughs> yeah. even with left wing here on that left side, yeah. too, right? I mean, those three really strong forwards there, right? So, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to beat out anyone in the lineup, really. I mean, they're classified themselves of NHL players, right? So, I think if I can play the right side, I think that's obviously very versatile, but um, like I said, I, I feel like I can play both. I've played left uh, for four years now, but I've also last year played right wing a little bit too, so it's just keeping that versatility open and you know, playing both sides of the ice. It's got some perks and it's got some negatives, but um, at the end of the day, it's, it's all the same. It's just hockey. So. so you heard it there. Definitely willing to play the right side, it sounds like. Now, of course, saying and doing are two completely different things. We've heard Alexi Lafreniere repeatedly say that he's also willing to play the right side. We've heard Chris Kreider willingly try it, but to actually execute it when you're a natural left winger sometimes can be a lot more difficult than it is to just say you want to try it. And as you heard Othman say there, he spent most of the previous four seasons playing on the left wing. And this season played a lot of left wing, but also it sounds like maybe tried to incorporate it a little more right. I think he knows that that's something that will help him if he can do it. Now we'll see how comfortable the Rangers are putting him in that situation and how he reacts if and when he gets the opportunity. So let's move on from Othman here. There's going to be one more clip that I want to play for you guys. And we had a chance to chat also today with John Lilly, who is the director of player personnel and amateur scouting. He's had that position for just over two years now, I believe. He was hired by Chris Drury in his first year on the job and has now run the last two drafts for the Rangers. So he's had an opportunity to sort of put his stamp on the organization. When we were talking to him today about specific guys and and who seems to be coming along well and who might have the best chance of making the roster, he didn't want to name too many names. He, he kept saying that, you know, what happens in this rookie camp and that an NHL camp will dictate that. But I did want to ask him a bit about the state of the current prospect pool because, as we know, there was a period where the Rangers, when they had some really high selections and took 
Capococco and Alexi Lafreniere, and even before that, when they had draft years with multiple first-round selections, and we saw them get the likes of Keandre Miller and Philip Heedle. Those years were a time period where the Rangers were considered stacked when you talked about prospects. But now it's a little different because a lot of those guys have moved up to the NHL roster. Some have panned out. Others have not. So with this current crop of the Perros and the Offmans and the Will Cooleys and the Adam Sakoras, where does John Lilly feel like the team stands right now and how soon might some of these guys be able to contribute? So that was a question that I posed to him, and we're going to hear that answer right now. It's a slow and steady process when you're not picking uh, particularly high, um, like like the team was previously. Um, but I think we've added depth, and there's a lot of guys. You know, we haven't had real high picks, so there's guys that are just going to take time. But I think that we, you know, we have a, a good stable of prospects, and uh, we look forward to just seeing them this week and where they go. So, again, I think he was being pretty careful with his words, and he didn't seem to want to mention a whole lot of names in the course of that interview, at least not from him saying or identifying this guy as somebody who he thought was close or this guy who he was most excited about or anything like that. But I think the key takeaway there was slow and steady. We saw this period when the Rangers were in the middle of the rebuild and playoffs weren't really that much of an expectation when they were giving younger guys NHL opportunities pretty quickly. And what I've sensed in the last year, two years, maybe even a little beyond that, is that they want to take a bit more of a methodical approach. The NHL roster is a win-now roster. They're not really trying to, as one executive put it to me when I was working on the prospect series, They're not really in a position to test drive guys at the NHL level right now, but I think they're also trying to be conscious of not rushing guys and giving them the proper development time and especially using Hartford as more of a breeding ground for the NHL roster. They want guys to spend a pretty significant amount of time there to make sure that when they do get the call, they're as ready as possible because I think there have been instances where guys maybe came up a little too quickly and it was a detriment to them. I've heard multiple people make that suggestion in the course of the research for this series. So that's why I've said with guys like Cooley and especially a guy like Offman, who has never played professional hockey before, at least not in North America, I am firmly of the belief that the are going to take their time with these guys and they are going to lean more in the veteran direction with guys like Benino and Pitlick and some of the other signings that they've made or trade deadline additions that we've seen in the past guys like Tyler Mott. I think they're going to lean more on those guys right now. And hopefully you you still have to hope because there's a balance here as well, that when a guy like Cooley or Othman is knocking down the door and showing that they're ready, that they will get the opportunity. But I think they're going to sort of wait for them to really be knocking down that door as opposed to just trying to get them up there because it's a young, exciting player and you want to see them as soon as possible. I think they're going to lean more on that slow and steady side of things that we heard Lily touch on. And again, as he mentioned, it's not like they're picking in the top 10 
recently. So the guys that they're drafting are either mid to late first rounders or even more so they have a lot of guys that were drafted in the middle rounds right now. Guys like Bryce McConnell Barker or Brett Berard or whoever it might be. I mentioned Schmelosh before. These are guys that I think they're going to want to take their time with a little bit more and see if they can carve them out into valuable role players. All right, so with that, we're going to move on to our final segment of the week. I'll be back in just a moment for our first mailbag segment of the season. Okay, it's been a while since we've done one of these, so let's dive right in. And our first question comes from Lindsay LaBelle, who wrote, In your opinion, what is more likely, Zach Jones being traded before the season or Jones beating out Gustafson for the sixth defensive spot out of camp? Lindsay, interesting question for sure. I I must tell you that I pretty firmly believe Gustafson has an inside track on being the left-handed defenseman on the bottom pair, likely next to Braden Schneider. I think he signed here with that being an understanding of the role that he was most likely going to play. We know that he had a lot of success under Peter Laviolette in Washington, and I at least my understanding is that that will be the plan to start. Now, if if he falls flat and Zach Jones has a tremendous camp, these things can always change. But usually when a veteran is signed to play a specific role, at least in my experience of watching this stuff for the past five seasons with the Rangers, typically they're at least going to get to play that role to start. And if he falters, then you adjust from there. I've told you guys on the podcast before that Zach Jones – if he is on this roster, I guess I should say is still in the organization, will be on the roster because they are certainly, now that his entry-level contract is done, not going to expose him to waivers. He's still what they view as a valuable defenseman, and I actually had somebody when I was working on this prospect series say to me that he thinks Zach Jones would be in the lineup for about 70% of the team's around the league. So Jones is a valuable commodity, even though it looks like he is not in the Rangers' plans as far as their lineup goes. They might pick some spots here and there to let him play to make it so he doesn't sit and get cold and rusty for too long of a time. But I do believe that the plan right now is that Gustafson will be in the lineup most nights and Jones will stick as a seventh defenseman. Typically a young player like that, you want them to go to the AHL and play consistently and continue their development, but not if it comes at the expense of exposing them to waivers. We saw the same thing last year with Vitaly Kratsov. It was pretty clear early on in the season that he wasn't going to be a regular in the lineup, that they weren't going to trust him with that kind of responsibility, but they kept him on the roster because they weren't going to just sacrifice him for nothing. The expectation was that if they put him on waivers, somebody would claim him, and I think it's an even stronger bet at this point that somebody would claim Zach Jones if they put him on waivers. I would also then, to answer your question, add this, that... 
if you're asking me what's more likely that he is the sixth defenseman and in the lineup every night or he's traded, I would say it's more likely that he gets traded. I still think that that is a real possibility. I don't think it's something to the point where the Rangers are actively shopping him or really pushing for a trade, but I also think that they are open-minded to taking calls on him, and if they can get something substantial in return for him, I do think that that is a real possibility that they would pull the trigger on that deal. What is something substantial? It's probably a stretch to think that they could get the first round pick that they got from Dallas last year when they traded Nils Lundqvist. I think Jones is probably slightly behind Lundqvist, at least as far as reputation around the league at the time when a trade might happen. But could he get a second round pick? Could he fetch something like that? Maybe. And if that were to come along, would the Rangers do it? I I can't say for sure that they would, but I also think that This is a guy whose path is clearly blocked right now, and he could be vulnerable to a trade, no doubt about it. So if it's an either-or situation, is he in the lineup or is he traded? I would say traded is more likely, but it's also likely or at least a real possibility that he is on the roster but not in the lineup as the seventh defenseman. Those, to me, are the two most likely scenarios. Either he's on the roster as the seventh defenseman, plays maybe occasionally, or he's traded. I think him being a regular in the lineup, barring injury, is not the plan, at least to start the season. So that is where it's at with Zach Jones right now. It goes back to what I mentioned earlier that somebody said to me this summer about the Rangers aren't a position or aren't in a position where they're going to be test-driving young players. They weren't crazy about what they saw from Jones in a relatively small sample size last year, and they signed Gustafson for a reason. And my belief and my understanding is that the plan right now is Gustafson is the number six guy, the left-handed defenseman on the bottom pair, and Jones is the number seven guy. But I absolutely do believe that Jones could be vulnerable to a trade I just mentioned we saw it last year with Nils Lundqvist when his path was blocked to a spot in the lineup. So I would definitely have my antenna up for the trade possibility. And if that doesn't happen, then I think it'll be a seventh defenseman role for Jones. All right, let's get to the next question, which comes from Mark Weissman, who wrote, what do you think about the power play units? One or two using the more traditional two defensemen, three forwards configuration instead of the one and four that we've seen in recent years. For example, Keandre Miller and Adam Fox at the points for power play one, and perhaps Jones and Truba for power play two. Mark, listen, this is a conversation that we still haven't had and and will be having with Peter Laviolette in the very near future, so I'm reluctant to say anything definitively, but my strong hunch at this point, is that there are going to be four staples on that top power play unit, and they're the four staples that we've seen for multiple seasons in a row now. Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, Artemi Panarin, and Adam Fox. I think the real question here is what does LaViolette do with the fifth spot? And I don't really think it's going to be a second 
defenseman. I could see the argument for getting Keandre Miller in there, especially to add a left-handed shot. But I think it's more important at this stage to get one of your younger forwards going and giving them more power play opportunities. So what I would like to see and what I believe is a real possibility is that one of those left-handed shooting kids, if we're still calling them kids, whether it be Alexi Lafreniere, Philip Hedl, or Capo Caco, I do believe that at least one of those guys will be on the top power play unit to start the season, and quite frankly, it's overdue. To give them a little confidence boost, to help them jump their points totals a little, to give them more usage that puts them in positions to succeed, I think that is part of the evolution that we need to see here. And I do believe that one of those guys will be on the top power play unit. I think you can make an argument for a few different guys. We've seen each of them sparingly used in that role, and I we're going to find out pretty soon if Laviolette has a preference. I'm sure he does, but it's also something they could tinker with throughout the course of training camp. But it's hard to envision a top power play that doesn't have Zabanajad, Kreider, Panarin, and Fox. And again, with the draft capital that you've put into some of those young forwards and the need to sort of feed them more responsibility, I think the logical step here is that one of them steps in on the top power play unit. And then on the second power play unit, you're going to have the other two guys. We'll find out who it ends up being with probably Blake Wheeler and Vincent Trocheck. I would think that those guys are pretty sure bets to have some kind of power play responsibility. Wheeler, we know, played a lot of power play for the Winnipeg Jets for all those seasons, and Trocheck is a guy who I think the Rangers are going to want to utilize in one of those spots as well. And I also pretty firmly believe that on the second power play unit, the quarterback of that unit, the one defenseman that you're going to see there is Eric Gustafson. That's a role that he played under LaViolette with the Capitals, and I think that that's a role that he was brought here to play for the Rangers, and that does give you a left-handed shot in, in that spot on a second power play unit. You could argue that Miller, because of his upside and because of how exciting he is as a young defenseman, you might rather see him in that spot, and eventually that could become his role, but I really do believe that the Rangers like Gustafson on the power play. It's a role that he's had in multiple other stops throughout his career. And so I think they're going to lean on that and lean on his experience there and that he will be the point guy on the second power play. So that would be my my rough outline for how I see the power play units playing out. I think that second unit will probably be two of the left-handed shooting young forwards with Wheeler, Trocek, and Gustafson. All right. Let's get to our final question, which comes from Sam Diaz, who wrote, Hey, Vince, love the podcast. Looking forward to this season. Any chance LaViolette keeps the kid line intact as the second line? The top line could be Bred, Mika, and Wheeler, and the third line would be Kreider, Trocek, and either VC or Goudreau. What are your thoughts? You know, Sam, I kind of don't, think that's going to be the way that it goes. We talked about needing to give these kids more responsibility, needing to put them in better positions to succeed. We've seen the kid line in spurts, especially two seasons ago in the playoffs, have a lot of success together. And we know that there is some comfort and familiarity there. But I think 
when we talk about helping them succeed, helping them get more confident, helping them become better players overall, you're going to do that by playing them with some of the best forwards on the team. And that's why I, I think what you're going to see is those three young guys being dispersed throughout the top nine, separated. I could see each one of them on a different line. In fact, the projection that I wrote over the summer, that's what it had. I had Kako on the top line with Zabanajad and Kreider. I had Hedl centering the second line in between Panarin and, and maybe a guy like Wheeler. And then I had Lafreniere playing on the third line with Trocheck and Goudreau. So maybe that might not be exactly what it looks like, but I think the the larger point here is that you're going to want those guys to get opportunities with the likes of Zabanajad and Panarin, guys who can make them better, guys who will be either on the finishing end of some of the passes that these guys are capable of or guys who will be setting them up for some easier scoring opportunities. I think that's going to be really, really important for their growth. It's time to put them in positions where not only they feel like they are important parts of the team, but they're being used like important parts of the team. So that is I think a really important step here for them to take. I know the Rangers are in win now mode and that the main focus is going to be playing whoever gives them the best chance of winning. And at times in the past that has sort of shied them away from putting young players in very prominent roles. But these guys are all at least three or four years into the league now. The time has come to take off the training wheels and really let them, at least you hope, flourish. It's sink or swim time for a lot of these guys right now. I feel like I was saying the same thing last year, and now I feel even more strongly about it going into this new season. If the Rangers are going to maximize their potential, especially given some of the salary cap constraints that they have, they need these guys, Lafreniere, Hedl, and Kako specifically, to step up and become more effective overall players and certainly become more productive players. The years of 30 and 40 points in a season need to be in the past for these guys. It's time for them to step up and start scoring 50 or 60 or you hope even more than that points. And for the Rangers to really reach the promised land, for the Rangers to really achieve their goal of becoming a Stanley Cup champion – that's a necessity. That's not just wishful development thinking. That's something that this team needs to happen or else it's going to be hard to envision them competing with the likes of whether it's Vegas or Colorado or up-and-coming really, really talented teams like New Jersey who we know eliminated the Rangers in the playoffs last season. You look around at some of the top teams in the league, you're going to need a lot of firepower to compete with them. And the best way for the Rangers to increase their level of firepower is for these young guys, I don't want to keep calling them kids, but these younger forwards who they invested a lot of draft capital in to step up. And so I, I remember distinctly last year that my column to begin the season was all about the best way for the Rangers to take it to the next level is for all of these young players to step up. It didn't quite happen to the level where they needed it to last season, and we saw what the outcome was. They were ousted in the first round of the playoffs, and now it's a similar story going into this season. 
for them to achieve the goal. And the goal is no longer just making the playoffs. The goal clearly is to win a championship and end this Stanley Cup drought, which is now about to hit 30 years or just hit 30 years. That is, again, a central part of this. It is a huge, huge need for this team and key to their success. Of course, it's also going to be hugely important that Panarin and Zabanajad and a lot of their more veteran guys, the leaders of this team, play better than they did in the playoffs last season. That is maybe even more of a storyline now going into this season because of the way that they went out. But ultimately, you're going to need a combination of it all. You're going to need those top guys to be the top guys, but you're also going to need some of the young guys who you drafted to be top guys to start looking like top guys. So it's all part of the equation here. It's all part of the winning formula for the Rangers. A lot of things have to fall into place. A lot of things have to click. And I think that they're going to want those kids to be a bigger part of things. And that is going to entail them probably playing in more prominent spots in the lineup. And I think it's going to mean no more kid line at least not on a nightly basis. Maybe in certain spots you go to it if you're looking for a spark or something like that. But I I think that that's not going to be what we see to start. We're going to get answers to all this though very soon. We're going to be talking to Peter LaViolette. It sounds like middle of the week for the first time next week. And then later in the week next week, we will have training camp beginning for the New York Rangers. So I will be back next week to report from training camp. We're going to have a whole new episode. We'll have a new episode that will sort of kick off NHL camp. This was the episode that began rookie camp. You got to hear from Brendan Othman. You got to hear from John Lilly. You got to hear a little bit about the prospect rankings that we just did. But now the focus is going to shift to the big boys, the NHL squad, and that will be episode two of this new season. This is actually episode 118 overall of this podcast. Pretty crazy. Pretty awesome that we've made it this far, and I'm very much looking forward to a new season with all of you. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience all summer. I hope you guys enjoyed the warm weather. I hope you did everything that you wanted to do this summer. But now now the sports are picking up again, and hockey season is coming really fast. So I'm excited. I hope you guys are too. I will talk to you very soon. But until then, stay well and take care. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.